Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you joined us on our episode today of Complete in Christ. It's episode number four, Complete in Christ, Peace with God. It's the episode for Sunday, February 11, 2024. Let's get to it. I'm glad you're here today with us. I want to ask you a question. When we think of the idea of having peace with God, there are many thoughts that can come into our heart and mind regarding that. But here's a few questions that you should be asking. How do we get peace with God? From whom do we get that peace? And what is involved in securing or obtaining peace with God? Those are important questions. Now, if you were to listen to the false teachers who were confusing or trying to confuse the true believers in Christ in the church in Colossae, and if you don't know where that is, I don't blame you, but if you go back to episode one, there's information there to help you. But it was a a true church, true believers in Christ, And they were being attacked by those who were saying that in order to have peace with God, to be saved, to have a new life where you were forgiven of sin, you had to go through a lot of intermediaries. Think of maybe beings like angels, and they called them emanations or eons, but these were like... um, Uh, stepping stones on the way to God that could help get you to God. And yeah, sure, Jesus Christ is one of those for certain. But he's, he's, he's just one of many, and he's a low one at that. But you need to go through many other steps in order to have peace with God. Is that true? I mean, for example... Some people think that they can achieve peace with God by reaching nirvana, which a comedian described as a divine state of nothingness. (laughs) Other people believe that you keep a list of religious rules, whether it's in Judaism or even Christianity or Islam or Hinduism. Other people believe that you can buy favor with God. There are many confusing ideas about achieving peace with God. But what is that? Where does it come from? Who do you get it from? And how was it, how was it accomplished? And how can you have peace with God? Well, a great insight is the use of one particular word in the letter that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Colossae. Now, one word, and I'm going to give you another phrase also, several phrases, but the first word I want you to know about is the word complete. It occurs, guess how many times? Nine times in the letter to the church at Colossae. Now, there's only four chapters, and I'm not great at math, but that's about two times on average per chapter. It was a, a very important point that the Apostle Paul was making. That's why I entitled this series of This Week in the Word, Complete in Christ, because we're looking at the book of Colossians, and it talks so many times about being complete. 
And then the, the other part of that phrase is in Christ. That phrase or some version of it, like in him or in the Lord or in whom, but the, uh, the idea of being in Christ, do you know how many times that occurs in the letter to the church at Colossae? 19 times. 19 times. Guess what? In the Apostle Paul's writings, and this is a phrase that he used over and over in his letters to the churches, in his writings, he used phrases like that, in Christ, in him, in the Lord, in whom, about 200 times. Wow. Now, what does that mean? Well, I probably knew the concept, but it really began to really be real with me or become uh, understandable to me that it is a living, life-changing union, a relationship with Christ. It's now and it goes on forever once it starts. It's not a decision in the past. Many people will say, well, I know that I'm born again. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that I have peace with God because back on such and such a day, I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. But the problem is, if you ask them, are you sure that you're going to go to heaven? They say, well, I hope so. They don't really know. And I, I think many of them do not know because they're relying on a decision. Like, for example, their mom tells them, oh, yes, you did that when you were nine. Or, um, or they're looking back to uh, going forward in a, in a church meeting and, you know, praying a prayer. Now, people can get saved that way. But once they make that decision to repent of sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's their only hope that he's their savior and he comes into their life and forgives them and gives them new life, that decision, because it's real, will continue to impact their life daily, every day until they go to be with the Lord and all the way into eternity. So it's not so much a decision as it is a daily living relationship with Jesus Christ right now. That's the best proof of being born again is you know that Jesus Christ is in your life right now. Some of you know that for sure, but some of you who are listening are saying, well, you know, I'm kind of hanging my hat on that certain date years ago. Now, you know what? I became a Christian and I can't tell you the exact date because when that happened, I didn't have anyone helping me you know, who said, we need to write this down, you know, that kind of thing. But I do have written in front of an older Bible that I have that it was the third week of June in 1973. And I can remember the day. I just can't tell you what the date was. But I know that I realized that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And the only one who qualifies is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me, and he rose again literally from the dead three days later, proving that his sacrifice was accepted 
by God the Father. So I know that I was born again at that time. By the way, one of the evidences of that is uh, uh, someone gave me a New Testament and I began to read the New Testament. I was so hungry like a newborn baby for the Word of God. You know how much I read the Bible before that? Just about like none. But once I got saved, something changed in my life. They haven't been perfect since then, but there was a definite change because someone came into my life. I was now in Christ. I didn't need to go through any angels or emanations or do 98 steps or reach nirvana or, or, or new age movement or anything like that. I was born again that day and it's, I've never been the same since then. And I know that I am in Christ. Now, can you say from your heart that you are in Christ, that you are complete in Christ? Or are you still striving to somehow measure up and that somehow God will accept you. Maybe your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds and somehow you'll get into heaven. You don't know how, but somehow that'll happen. Uh, That's not gonna happen. That's not how we get to heaven. We get to heaven one way, in Christ. That's a fact. Now, we're gonna go back a little bit to some of the verses we looked at last week And uh, we'll just read through most of those, but we want to go a little deeper on some of them today and and develop this theme so you can understand more fully what it means to be in Christ. All right, so we're going to go back to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 29. Now, it's talking about Jesus Christ when it starts right here, who is the image of the invisible God. That means he's the exact representation of the God that we cannot see, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. This means that he stands number one of of everything and everyone in the universe. He is preeminent. Verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So there's, there's none of these things that somebody could go through to get to God because Christ created anything you can think of. He created, all right? He is a creator. Verse 17, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. The universe does not explode in a massive fiery ball, which it should by everything we know uh, in nuclear physics and all of that, but scientists can't explain it, but somehow it doesn't. The reason is it's by him and by him all things consist. That means he holds everything together, even the atom which should be exploding right now. Wow, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Who is, did you know the Pope is not the head of the church? Billy Graham was not even the head of the church. How about that? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. All of the fullness of God is resident and present in Jesus Christ. It's not like if I become saved, I have some of God. No, you, you have all of God in Christ. Okay, verse 20. And again, these are verses we went in a lot more detail about in the last episode. Verse 20. And having made peace, this is what I want you to see today. So we ask, well, where did this peace get? Where does it come from? Who has it and how can I get it? Right here. Here it is, verse 20. And having made peace, so by the way, it isn't that we're trying to achieve peace with God. Like if I could, I could just be good enough. God will like me. Listen, God cannot love you any more than he does already. He loves you enough that he died on the cross for you. It says that in essence right here in verse 20 of Colossians 1. And having made peace, so it's already been done, right? This is that peace with God. You see, man without Christ in his sin is the enemy of God. There's war that exists between lost people and God because of sin. But right here in verse 20, it says in Colossians 1, 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So let's break that verse down just a little bit. And having made peace, this has already been done. There's nothing you can do to add to that to try to get it or earn it. It's already, the peace has already been won. Now, who, who won that peace? Well, Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Ed, where did he win that? It says right here, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. You realize when it says the blood of his cross is talking about his death? Jesus Christ is not like uh, some kind of phantom or, you know, spirit being or some emanation or eon or uh, ascended master. You know, that's kind of what they're talking about, the false teachers, when they talk about an emanation or an eon or an intermediary. And, you know, Christ is one of those, but you need many more after him and blah, blah, blah. They're wrong. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. When Jesus Christ died on that cross at Calvary, he took upon himself all of the sin of all people who would ever exist. And he paid the sin debt. He paid the price for sin. Why? Because a soul that sins, it shall die, the Bible says. He died that death in our place. He took the wrath of God against sin upon himself. And he shed his blood. Now, he never committed sin. This is a testimony of the Bible. Also, is a testimony of the people who observed him his whole life, and especially 
his disciples, which were with him every day for three years. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. The world without Jesus, everyone who's not a Christian, I don't care how religious you are, even if you're a member of a Christian church, if you are not truly saved and born again, you are uh, unreconciled to God. But notice here, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Verse 21, watch this. Because it's talking about you if you're a Christian. A real born again, saved Christian that Jesus lives in right now. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That was you and me before we were in Christ, before we were saved, before we were born again, before Jesus came into our life. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled. You know, I'm not, I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I was. Amen. I was an enemy of God. I was lost. I was unreconciled to God. And yet, because of what Jesus did on the cross, his blood paid the price for my sin he rose again from the dead the third day, just like he said he would do. And over 500 people witnessed him as a resurrected God because he was God before he died. And he came back from the dead on the third day. There's zero question about this. Um, and we, we don't have time today to explain that, but you're just going to have to take that on faith right now. There's no question he rose from the dead. If he didn't, all the, all the Jewish authorities had to do, the religious leaders, was bring out his body and say, there he is, he's still dead. And they couldn't do it. Plus, you have to think about the fact that the disciples... Uh, Judas excluded, of course, who hung himself. But the, the other disciples, and including Paul, were all willing to die martyrs' deaths for their witness of the resurrected Lord. They never went back, never recanted, never said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all a lie. Hey, listen, a lot of people have died for a lie, Nobody dies for what they know to be a lie. Some people might believe a lie and die for it, but they knew the truth and they were willing to stand to it. The Apostle Paul was even, uh, he, he was not with the Lord in his earthly ministry, but even he died a martyr's death. Say, so, well, what about the Apostle John? Fox's Book of Martyrs and Christian Tradition from way back tells that 
the Apostle Paul, uh, John rather, was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil, but it didn't kill him. And they didn't know what to do with him. So they put him on the Isle of Patmos, a rock-splitting prison colony out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And they, they split granite, I guess, and marble to help build the glory and grandeur of Rome. Yeah, well, that that's not what John did while he was there. I don't know if he did rock-splitting. Maybe he did. Probably did. But guess what happened on the Isle of Patmos? the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of the Revelation was given to him on the Isle of Patmos. That's why the oil could not kill him. Amen. But even he went through the process of martyrdom. It just didn't take. (laughs) I like that. So is that possible? It was just like the three Hebrew boys that were put into the fiery furnace. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his entire country were astounded that they did not die. And it drove Nebuchadnezzar to realize who the true God was. It's God. Amen. Not Nebuchadnezzar. Have you ever realized that about yourself, by the way, that God is God and you're not? That's part of becoming a Christian when you realize you're not your own God. There's only one God and you're not him. Say amen right here. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Now watch verse 22 of Colossians 1. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh. There's two words used here in Greek. The word uh, for body and the word for flesh. Soma for body and sarx for flesh. The idea of the false teachers is there were these spiritual beings which they, they knew about, but you didn't. And if you would just follow their teaching, they'd put in a good word for you with these, whatever they were, you know, that they said existed. Ascended masters, angelic beings, whatever, inter- intermediaries, uh, emanations, eons, whatever. Uh, they put in a good word for you and you know maybe you could come to God too like they had. All of that's a lie. Jesus Christ had an actual body just like us. And it says in the body of his flesh, when, when those scourge, uh, the, the uh, strikes of the scourging instrument hit his back. It tore his flesh. When the nails were driven through his wrist and through his feet, it hurt and he bled. Jesus Christ was and is really real. Even after his resurrection, I'll give you an example. In the Gospels, one time after the resurrection, he appeared to them when they were hiding out in uh, a, uh, a, a room, and the door was locked, and he came right through the door. He was just in the room. This blew their minds, and they, 
they basically thought he was a spirit. And he asked a, a very simple question. you have anything here to eat? I'm paraphrasing, of course. I'm not quoting a verse, but do you have anything to eat? And I, th- I think it says they gave him a piece of broiled fish, but he ate it in front of them. Um, ghosts and spirits don't eat food. He ate with them. On the, also on the shores of the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection. He is really real. He even told them, he told Thomas, hey, touch, touch me and, you know, put your, put your hands in my side where that, that spear had been. You know, touch me. I'm really real. Now, there was a difference in that he was uh, flesh and bone, but not, uh, uh, I don't understand this, and the Bible doesn't explain it, but not blood. And we don't really understand that. I shouldn't have even gone there. But he was really real. They could touch him, the resurrected Lord, in the body of his flesh through death. See, that's how he reconciled us. It is not that if you keep enough rules and you know the right spiritual entities or you know enough philosophy that somehow, you know, God's just going to say, wow, what a great guy. What a gal. We got to let you into heaven. That's not how it happens. That's not how it happens. And if you're under any other um, idea that there's something you're supposed to do or something to get to heaven, listen carefully. This could be the light bulb moment of light bulb moments for you. I don't care if you're an atheist or the most religious person in one of the world's religions, and there's a bunch of them. The difference between a relationship and a religion is my relationship with Christ. And and I don't mean this in the wrong way at all, but it will be something you will identify with. If I'm in a religion, I'm trying to live up to a bunch of rules and, you know, maybe wear God down and he'll let me into heaven. That's religion. And all religions are built on that. And they're all wrong. It's about a relationship. And you may remember the thing that used to happen a long time ago where, um, you know, people would wear a shirt, I'm with the band. You remember that? And it's like I'm not in the band. You know, I'm just like a roadie or whatever. I'm with the band. That's how I can get backstage with the band. I'm with the band. It's sort of like, and I, I don't mean it to disparage, uh, probably a terrible illustration, but I think you'll see what I'm saying. I'm going to heaven because I'm with the band. I'm with Jesus. I'm in Christ. I am not going to heaven because somehow I'm so good. I'm not good. Neither are you. I'm just with the band. I'm with Christ. I'm in Christ. 
That's why I have peace with God, because he shed his blood on the cross, and it was all really real. So let's read these three verses again one more time. And have uh, This is Colossians 1, starting in verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Wow! (laughs) I don't deserve that at all. And yet, through his sacrificial death and his resurrection, I get to be presented before God the Father as holy. Well, I'm not holy. Jesus is. Holy and unblameable. I'm definitely not unblameable. Jesus is. And unreprovable. I I know I'm not unreprovable. Well, Jesus is unreprovable. I'm in Christ. And if you don't understand up until now, if you never understood this, let the light in. This is what it means to be saved, to be in Christ. It's what he did for me, not what I do for him. Verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now, I consulted the writings of several people who are total eggheads in Greek. And here's what I found. Like Kenneth Woost, and, and others. Right here, verse 23, in Greek, now we have the word, the English word, if, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. It says, well, boy, that, you know, that sounds like, okay, this is good news about Jesus dying for me and everything, but, but now I've got to continue in the faith, and oh man, this is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. But I want you to know something. It's going to help you right here. That English word if, there's two Greek words, and it's not one of them. (laughs) It's not the Greek word en, E-A-N. It's not that word, which is, uh, Kenneth Wu says, it's an unfulfilled hypothetical condition presenting the possibility you know, that it might come true, that's not the Greek word. It's the Greek word ei or i, ei. Guess what that word means? That is, is telling me a fact. It's in the indicative mood. And this is what it means. Don't let that throw you. Listen carefully. It, it, you can rephrase that as assuming that you continue in the faith. And it was 
assume that, well, of course you will. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely you will. Why? Because now I'm in Christ. It's not me living in the faith or keeping the faith. It's I'm in Christ. And really, because of that, he's, he perseveres. He does the persevering, and it's lived out in my life. And let's put it a different way. The, the false teachers, basically, they were saying that, well, yeah, you, you know, you heard the gospel about Jesus. Great. I mean, we're not against that. Who's against that? You heard that, but you need to, you need more. You need to do some more things or meet the right spiritual beings or whatever if you really want to, you know, go to heaven. That's what they were saying, essentially. But like John Phillips says, this is teaching us that if you continue the faith means well, there's no doubt that you'll do that. Well, why? Because I'm in Christ. I am saved. Therefore, I will persevere. He talks about this in his book, the Exploring Series, Exploring Colossians. So let me kind of read what he, what he wrote there. If you continue in the faith, which you will assuredly do, what we have here then is a definite loyalty This is John Phillips writing now. I got to meet him several times, and once I even had the rare privilege of visiting in his home with uh, the pastor I served uh, with at that time, Tommy Henschel. We went to his home in Atlanta, Georgia, and saw his massive library. (laughs) Wow. So John Phillips writes, what we have here then is a definite loyalty. Paul is not casting doubt. Now listen, Paul is not casting doubt on our salvation. He's simply saying that a person who is genuinely saved will most assuredly continue in the faith. It is not a question of if you do this or that, you will be saved. It is a question of because you are saved, you will do this or that. And he wrote that in Exploring Colossians. And then he explains, I believe this is in in his uh, writing here in Colossians, Exploring Colossians, he says uh, the idea of continue, what does that mean? It means to, to stay in, to remain, to persist in, adhere to, stay at or with, abide by. It means to abide in, continue in, tarry, abide or stay in or at a place. Linger in expectation, continue, persevere, persist in, to stay at it or with, to remain. The present tense of continue calls for a continual action. And what that means is, John Phillips says, is this should be our habitual practice of, of our lifestyle. Now, let's, let's go back a little bit. Uh, well, let's put it this way. I think this is uh, John MacArthur writing here on his uh, commentary, I believe, on Colossians. Yeah. 
The teaching is not that perseverance in the faith saves an individual, but that one's perseverance to the end is evidence that that person is truly saved. Right? <laughs> let, me, let me say, uh, read a little more what he wrote, John MacArthur. While it is important for Christians to continually continue in godly conduct, we do so with the realization that we are not saved by our godly conduct. That's important. I mean, that's so important. Now, let me, let me, let's go back to the verse. Let's not forget what we read. If ye continue in the faith, so it means it, you. We can use English words since, since we will continue, persevere in quote the faith. Definite article. The word the the faith. It's not in Greek, and nor is it even in English right here in the King James. It's not if ye continue in faith, like. I'm believing, Pastor Ed, really am. I'm, I'm having faith. I'm keeping the faith. I'm, I'm just believing. That's not what this means. I get tired of hearing people talk about the Christian life like that, and you know they have no idea what they're talking about. It's like they're hoping they can keep believing. Come on, if you're in Christ, you know him. I think people who talk like that don't know Jesus. And they think that by the quality of their trusting in him, or if I could just hope some more, or, you know, believe some more. That's not what it is. I hope this is a light bulb moment for many of you. And, and you know, maybe you already know this, but there may be people listening who don't. If, you know, like since, since she will, if he continue in the faith. Now, what does that mean? The faith is talking not about the act of believing, but what we believe. It is the set body of biblical Christian doctrine. Okay? It's, it's what we believe, not how much you believe. And it's sad that this has been just twisted beyond belief today. We've been saying, I'm trying to believe, but it's hard to believe. I don't think the person is like that. I, I, I have doubts about their salvation. Because when you know Christ, you know that you know Christ. If you continue in the faith. Now, why is this important? Because the false teachers were trying to and I don't think they were successful, but they, but they were giving it their best shot. They were trying to move the true Christians at Colossae from the truth that they believed in the Bible and about Christ from, from the truth to what they wanted them to believe. All this uh, hocus-pocus stuff that they had come up with, these false teachings. And Paul says, since, if you continue in the faith, or since you will continue in the faith, grounded and settled. This is a beautiful word picture in Greek. It means like, 
It talks about that which is underneath. So think about building a large building or a beautiful house and building it on solid rock. You know what I know about that building or that house? It's not going anywhere. It's not going to be washed away. It's built on a rock. So if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now that word hope, the Greek word, means a a certainty. It's not like, I hope so. It's not that. That's, That's what we have in English, but that's not what the Greek word means. The Greek word means like, yep, I'm certain about that. Gonna happen. It's true. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You know, when we stare into an open grave that a coffin is about to be placed into, just looking into that, that's when hope means everything, because that's not the end. We have the certainty of the resurrection and eternal life. Not a, we don't just hope, we know. So he says, if you continue the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away, you know, by these false teachers, from the hope of the gospel, which you've heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So we're going to stop right there. That's what peace with God is all about. It's about being in Christ, not because I have finally gotten my act together, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. And it proved, the resurrection proved that what he did was more than sufficient to pay the price for our sins. We are forgiven when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, right now, if you've never done that, that's your next step. That's what you need to do. You need to repent of sin. That means you admit to him that you are a sinner and you need him and what he did on the cross for your sins. Ask him to come into your life and save you. And if you are really meaning that, he will do that. And you will have the uh, experience of him living in you. Amen. Now, for many people listening, you are already a Christian, but maybe you've had some doubts in your heart or, or confusion, just all torn up sometimes about this. I hope this helped you. And maybe you're all squared away and you already knew that. So preach it, Brother Ed. Well, I hope it helps you explain this to someone else. Hey, listen, I want to give you a phone number and I would like everyone to write this down and I'm going to wait for you to get something to write it down with. Go ahead and get something to write this number down. Thank you. All right, so here's a number. I'm going to say it twice. Write it down. I'll tell you what it is. 888-388-2683. That is a number that you can call if you know that you need to be saved. You're not sure you're saved. 
It's also a number that even if you are saved, you can call and get some encouragement in your Christian life. And it's a number you can give to someone who needs to come to Christ, and they can call that number. Call it with them. Someone will help you concerning becoming a Christian and growing as a Christian. All right, here's the deal. This is my promise to you. If I don't die in my sleep first, or deep state, (laughs) or false teachers don't double tap me, take me out, or all kind of things that might happen to me, or the rapture doesn't come and I'm not here because I'm in heaven with the Lord, amen. I plan to be back next week with the next episode of Complete in Christ. I want you to read Colossians 1 several times this week and be ready. And I need you to do one more thing before we sign out. Please like this episode right now where you're listening. I want you to, if you've never done it, follow the podcast so you can be notified every week when an episode, a new one is posted. And I want you to do one more thing. I would like you to share this with someone right now. Email them the link so they can listen. I would appreciate all of that. Thank you for listening. If the Lord is willing, I'll be back next week. Bye-bye.